This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we've got a fantastic show today. We have a lot to cover. In fact, we're not even going to be able to talk about all the things that we need to talk about, whether it's Omicron or the other kind of <laughs> other things that we're facing kind of globally right now, because there's so many other things to talk about, including the sanctioning and the support of bigotry, hatred, and Islamophobia in the U.S. Senate. We're going to be talking with uh, Arab Talk correspondent Phil Pasquini in D.C., who's going to be giving us an update about the Lauren Boebert hate campaign, bigoted campaign, Islamophobic campaign. And, and the thing that we'll talk about, which is really kind of concerning and really frightening to me, is the, the support that she's getting. I mean, yes, there are some people speaking out, but overwhelmingly she's being supported for her bigoted, hateful, and Islamophobic comments. And we'll also, you know, along those lines, we're going to be talking about one of her bigger supporters, uh, Chris Christie, who's going to be running for president. He tried to distance himself from the Trump campaign, but is fully embracing the Islamophobic approach. Uh, exactly. We're going to talk a little bit about something that is unbelievable to me, Jamal, which is the fact that uh, an apartheid state is going to host the Miss Universe uh, <laughs> pageant. We're going what, to talk what, about... Uh, we have whitewashing and pink washing, and so this is what? Beauty washing? Beauty washing, and we're going to talk about the calls to boycott the Miss Universe uh, pageant, which is scheduled to be hosted by an apartheid regime. And then finally, depending on we have time, we're going to talk about what's happening on the ground in Palestine, obviously, because, you know, uh, illegal colonial settlers are con- are in the process of taking away Palestinian farming land, starting farms on stolen Palestinian land as a further extension of the ethnic cleansing and land theft that goes on there. So we have a lot to talk about today, but I think we should talk about Lauren Boebert, the the uh, congresswoman who is just spewing such hateful rhetoric uh, against Ilhan Omar, uh, the representative from uh, the great state of Minnesota. Well, let's go to Phil Pasquini. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar played a harrowing death threat left recently on her voicemail as she implored House Republican leaders to do more to tamp down anti-Muslim hatred in their ranks and hold those who perpetuate it accountable. The Democratic Minnesota representative, one of the one of only a handful of Muslim members of Congress, has been the subject of repeated attacks by conservative pundits and some Republicans in Congress, which she says have led to an increase in the number of death threats she receives. Recently, a video of the first term Colorado representative Lauren Bobert calling Omar a member of the Jihad Squad and likening her to a bomb-carrying terrorist went viral. Joining us to discuss this and more, Arab Talk reporter in Washington, D.C., Phil Pasquini. Phil is the author of Domes, Arches, and Minarets, a history of Islamic-inspired buildings in America. Welcome again to Arab Talk, Phil. Great. Thank you, Jamal. It's good to be here. So when a member, a sitting member of Congress calls a Muslim colleague, a member of the Jihad squad, and insinuates that she'll blow up uh, basically the U.S. Capitol, what do you make of it? I'm disgusted. Doesn't she have better things to do than to take a, a chapter out of the Trump playbook to start vilifying people and assassinating personalities? instead of doing her job and representing her constituents. Obviously, she thinks this is going to resonate with them. And I I think she's like a lot of people who are small-minded in the same way. They uh, want to ingratiate and grandeur themselves by putting somebody else down. And this is just another cheap shot at uh, making herself uh, getting free publicity, if you will, the stories all over the world, everybody's talking about it, and so on. 
Um, unfortunately, a lot of people probably think she's correct. Uh, you can remember a few years ago when the then uh, police chief in San Francisco made his comments about if there was a bombing in San Francisco, it would come from the Yemeni community. Um, right. Same kind of rhetoric, same kind of stupid thinking, uh, just very disgusting to me. I, I would hope that she has done better things. But I, I'm willing to bet that if you looked at her congressional record and what she's achieved while she's been in office, it's probably pretty thin. She hasn't got much to toot her horn about, evidently. So take a cheap shot at other people. You spend a lot of time in, in Washington, D.C., and we actually have spoken a lot during uh, the four years of Donald Trump. Uh, and then you mentioned something very important. He said, I mean, what she's saying, she's taking a chapter out of uh, Trump's book. But, I mean, here we are. We're in a whole different administration, and yet, uh, you know, you have a lot of people still looking right. towards the comeback or the return of uh, the, the the Trump messiah, if I want to say that, because this is how they kind of look at him with admin, uh, admiration. I mean, right. I mean, I mean, did the 40 years of Donald Trump uh, in Washington, D.C. normalize white supremacy and Islamophobia, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I believe that's the case. I mean, I, I said initially when he started running and he looked like it was going to be a viable candidate, that the Democrats should have circled the wagons and not let him carry the agenda. And he started out with immigration and immigrants. And as soon as he did, they were flustered. They didn't know what to do. And I've watched this now for four years, starting with uh, the first riot in Lafayette Park right after or just before uh, the election, uh, when you had white supremacists versus Antifa, and then going to rallies like the Million Man March for Trump 2020, you know, everybody's shaking their Pushed, pumping their fists, yelling USA, USA. We see that again and again. Reminded me of scenes out of 1939 when people were yelling Heil Hitler. And they had that same crowd, uh, messianic kind of message of what, what should have been a political party ends up being a personality cult. Um, and watching this evolve in this past year, I can't tell you. I think both my wife and I have done 172 stories this year, which is about twice what we normally do in a normal year, starting with January 6th, watching this insurrection go down, and then the futile attempts on three occasions now of trying to reinstill him as a president uh, because he was had a stolen election. And so that all plays into this normalization of Islamophobia, fake news, um, and all the rest. I, I hate to even go down the, the laundry list because it's so boring and mundane. But it's a significant factor that we're going to have to live with because Trump did normalize this kind of rhetoric or we wouldn't be seeing it repeated over and over again. I mean, how far are we from translating this rhetoric to to a real, basically, threat? Uh, I, should, I should have mentioned that Representative Omar played a voicemail laden with profanity, racial epithet, and threat to take you off the face of this effing earth. This is uh, the voicemail, which she said was among hundreds of such messages she has reported since joining uh, Congress. She said that uh, this voicemail was left uh, for her after Bobert released another video on Monday criticizing her. So we've listened to the rhetoric. We've seen them marching. Are we going to wait until something terrible is going to happen? I mean, I mean, is this is this, this is what this current Congress or leadership in the in the GOP at, in Congress is waiting to see? Uh, I mean, what's the threshold really from accepting even uh, let's say free free speech with many which many people find uh, hateful and repulsive to translating that into danger? Well, in my mind, and I think legally speaking, I'm not a lawyer, but when you threaten somebody, you've transcended free speech. You now have entered into a terrorist threat. That's not free speech any longer. It's like the old anachronism of yelling fire in a crowded theater. You have the right to speak, but there are things that you just can't say that are not acceptable and that will be prosecuted under the law. I don't think that we have escaped from January 6th. That's very much alive today. And I know 
that there are people in government who are preparing for the reemergence of, of Trump, if should he get reelected, uh, and looking at these continual threats. You know, about, oh, I think it was a month ago in Washington, they started locking stuff down. I walked by the White House. There wasn't a single uh, uniform secret guard, uh, secret service uh, person on duty that didn't have a fully automatic weapon. So the, the threat level had been raised within a couple of days. There was some rumbling in the background and they geared up for that. So, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. And, and anybody that doesn't condemn this kind of stuff, and you're talking about the GOP, and I agree with you, um, they're not doing anything to counter this. They're not doing anything to hold people accountable for this kind of stuff. And they're complicit in whatever happens. And I, well, I don't not. think... I, I just, I, I mean, they're not, and I, I, I should add, I don't know if you've seen this interview, but just like a day ago on... CNN uh, with Wolf Blitzer, he had uh, the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, to talk about this incident, and he was making light of it. He said, "Well, she said it in a, in she was joking, joke, big joke, yeah." But the joke, if the joke was on him, it would be a different story, you know. But the joke, when the joke is on somebody else, that's always acceptable. I mean, um, I don't know his exact words, but he said, "You know, the she laughed, and the audience laughed." Yeah, that's well. That makes it a joke, I guess. So she's a stand-up comedian and not a congressman. She is a predator. She's unprofessional. She's unfit for the job, obviously. And I have to ask the question: Why, when she's making a talk like this to her constituents, they don't stop her and ask her, "What are you really doing in Washington? What legislation have you brought to the fore? How are you representing us?" You know, the, the, Trump did the same thing. He did not run on issues when he first ran. He ran on all this ancillary stuff, which is what every dictator has ever done. You have a problem, you you, uh, you drop the subject and switch into something that's emotional so that you can deviate away from what is substantive into these areas that have no, I mean, what difference does it make? This is supposed to be the melting pot. You know, in my book, I talked about that. I go back to 1776. Before 1776, and we became a nation, there were Muslims living in North America, something these people have no idea or don't know anything about. And and so, you know, to, to look at Islam and Muslims as like some kind of a new phenomena and a threat, that's not the case. Historically, it's not the case. What about this kid yesterday that killed, what, four people, shot four people in high school? There's that terrorism is. for it. That's what we need to guard ourselves against. And this is the kind of stuff that she's doing which causes more people who are on the fringe to step into the rain. I know here's the congressman saying, "Oh, she, she should be, you know, annihilated or whatever." She's a she's a terrorist. That's just going to make the mental midgets among us even more emotional about what and how they will react to things. Um, when I was Elaine and I were in Philadelphia or in uh, Pittsburgh a number of years ago, and we heard some noise, so we went towards it, and there was a rally. Was a Tea Party rally with people dressed up like the founding fathers, holding signs saying "No jihad in America, Islam will not take over the U.S. Uh, we will maintain America for Americans," meaning white Americans, of course. So this mentality is always there. It was, you know, it was the Irish, it was the Italians, it was the Chinese, it was the Japanese. Now it's the Muslims, it was Latinos. Unfortunately, this kind of stuff grows. And it gains a following that's emotional, so certainly not predicated on true fact. And I know she apologized for her statements that she made about walked Ilhan. It back. She that's, apologized, and later on she walked it back. But anyway, right, right. <laughs> it was a phony apology to begin with, of course. That that's just part of the playbook, you know. But the damage has been done. You know, you let the bird out of the cage, you might want it back, but it's long gone, unfortunately. I'm glad you actually mentioned uh, your book, Domes, Arches, and Minarets. And this is something that you've worked on for, for many, many years. And then you, you, you started by talking about that there was Islam, and, and which many people don't know that the first <laughs> Muslims came into America as slaves. So, you know, way before many of the immigrants from Europe who came here mostly after the turn of the century and so forth, and and a lot of people don't know about it, but in your book, you've highlighted how many buildings 
I forgot the number. Please remind me. I'm not. I'm sure. Oh, more than more than 250. I've probably found 300 by yeah. By that now. all have uh, Islamic architecture uh, from and this, you know the domes and, and the structures and 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 what yeah. have you, and 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 a lot of people actually don't know that they just look at it and they don't know what's the origin of this. And then here is something I don't know. I want your reaction to is this is according to a new Pew Research uh, Center poll, and uh, it says that it says that even though many Americans have negative views toward Muslims or Islam, fifty three percent say they don't know anyone who is Muslim. Yeah. In addition, fifty two percent say that they don't know much or anything about Islam. Americans who know Muslims are more likely to view them in a positive light. But here you go. It's kind of like they don't know and they don't care to find out, but they're ready to condemn. Right. Well, I refer to these things as the hula hoop. When I was a kid, all of a sudden, every kid on the block had a hula hoop. I, I never even heard of it. You know, it came out of nowhere. Everybody had to have one. It went along for a while and it, something else came up, trampolines or whatever. Um, it, it's the same kind of thing. You know, those statistics that you're quoting were used many years ago when I was young during the civil rights movement. How many people actually had a black friend or or knew a black family or worked with a black person, but socialized with them outside of the working environment? The numbers were similar. Most people didn't know anybody that was black. They certainly didn't fraternize with them. And and so you see the same thing. It's 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 suspicion by um, not becoming uh, friendly or knowing somebody who they are and what they are. And, and so, you know, I'm, it's not surprising that people hate Muslims because they don't know them because they don't know what, what they're even hating. I mean, they're, they're following a group. It's like uh, I, I covered somebody at the white house. It was a uh, gang stalkers, uh, gang stalking kind of attitude. Um, you know, one person does it, a bunch of people jump on it pretty soon. It's the thing to do. You know, what has this got to do with anything? Uh, people are individuals. They're not collective. Muslims are not all Muslims. They have the same religion, but Muslims are th found throughout the world. I mean, did, I met a guy one time who's a Jewish Eskimo. You know, there's a rare thing for you, um, but not unheard of. And and so by not knowing people or associating with them, people become suspicious and withdrawn. And we see that. I mean, one of the great things that happened was integration of neighborhoods, because when people lived in ethnic uh, concentrated areas, they had no interaction with anyone else. So they were suspicious of anybody. We just saw that play out in South Carolina, where this kid jogging through a neighborhood gets killed because he's supposedly a thief. He was black. That was his crime, you know, and he was in a white neighborhood. And and so it's the same stupid mentality uh, over and over and over of uh, suspecting people of actions which they haven't participated in or a part of. And, and really, this woman, a senator, congressman, um, she's doing more to upset the balance for a domestic terrorism than anybody else. They point fingers at Muslims looking at an exterior threat when the threat really exists right here among us on a daily basis with people like this running around making these phony proclamations. I mean, you covered the insurrection. You were there in Washington, D.C. It looks like they assume that people have short-term memory <laughs> and, 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 and have forgotten about all these people storming the state capitol, <laughs> you know, I mean, they were the real terrorists. Exactly. I mean, that, that's probably the, the biggest danger that we've witnessed in this country uh, for many years. You know, I, I kind of, in, in my mind, I always go back to the election of George W. Bush the first time um, when he was selected and not elected. We can remember what occurred. And they got away. Chad. With a hanging yeah, chad. Yeah, hanging chad. <laughs> and they got away with it. And I, I think that opened the floodgate to uh, telling people who want to control things that people don't really pay any attention to what's going on. They're really not interested. They have other things to do. Obviously, we're all guilty of that. We have our lives. 
and so on. But I, I think that set the framework uh, for reference that we see being manifest now in the sense that, you know, there was a insurrection and then we get the continual lies of, oh, it's just tourists going to the Capitol just to look at the building and so on and so on. When you see people running into the building that are geared up for a, a SWAT confrontation, they are not tourists walking into a building. And by not condoning, condemning that in the strongest of terms and arguing about minutia, about whether it was or it wasn't, does a disservice to everybody and it sets the stage for future action. There's going to be more of this in the future. It's going to get tougher to live in our democracy as time goes on. Uh, you know, then, then they called it, well, it was a demonstration. You know, you have the right to peacefully demonstrate, but you don't have the right to just take over a building because it's the people's building. It doesn't belong to you. We all pay for the military and we pay for battleships. When was the last time you went down to a battleship and they let you on board, took you on a cruise? It's the same kind of thing. We pay into it. We're responsible for it. When we try to destroy it, there should be, a, it, it shouldn't even, it doesn't even enter the realm of partisan politics. It's wrong. It's bad. And it should be condemned and dealt with. And we see these games. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you kind of expect in a big country like this, you're going to find pockets of racists, uh, Islamophobes, anti-Semites all over. Right. But, uh, Washington, D.C. sets the tone. This is the seat of the government, of all the branches of the government. How do you do, how divided do you feel now is Washington, D.C.? Um, well, there's the city of Washington, D.C., which is where people live, which never comes into conversation because the catch-all phrase of Washington, D.C. is focused on government. So there's the government, there's the city. The city is very diverse. The government is somewhat diverse as well. The difference between the two is that, it, as you mentioned, this melting pot, which doesn't melt together, but separates somehow into these enclaves of ideas, the government is reflective of who the people are around the country. I mean, if you, if you look at legislators from different uh, sectors, different states, you find them mimicking somewhat what's going on. But the reality is, that they are reflective of their own agendas to try to get reelected. And they spend most of their time engaged in that. So like in this case with this woman, she wants to be reelected. She wants the name recognition. So the more noise she makes negatively, that plays into her, her uh, means of, in her mind at any rate, I guess, getting free PR. Um, what I see in Washington is not so much a division among people, but division. I mean, politics has become divisive. It used to be politics was the art of compromise, that you would come to a deal and knowing that you're going to have to give something up in order to get something. So you had your priorities. What do you want to give up? What do you really have to hold out for? And how are you going to get there? We saw that with the infrastructure bill that just went in. You know, I saw people who were on the left, the far left, not going to give an inch. If they didn't get everything they wanted, they were not voting. People in the middle were saying, hey, let's compromise. We'll give this up. We'll get that. People on the right, they didn't want to give anything either. You can't run a government that's polarized. You have to have the understanding that you're going to do something based on mutual agreements. This is the era that we're in now. The polarization has become so strong that people do things for their party rather than for what's good for the country. We've got two holdouts, as you know, from Colorado and, and uh, West Virginia, who act more like uh, Republicans than Democrats. And then we've got Bernie, who's an independent, who's more of a Democrat than an independent. And so you have this mishmash of ideas and philosophies and ways of dealing with things. It's all counterproductive at this point. It's too polarized. It's too encamped. We, we need to get back to uh, statesmanship, uh, legislators who are willing to compromise in order to move forward. If we don't do that, we're going to end up in this quagmire of indecisiveness, fighting and bickering, and this kind of stuff is going to take over in the end. They keep talking about civil war when I'm in these rallies. We need the revolution. We want the civil war. This is not the way we should be thinking and dealing with things, you know. 
Who wants a civil war? I mean, I certainly. I don't. mean, if they've read uh, the history of the U.S. civil war, it was a very Pretty bloody bleak. history. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. bleak. So I don't know who wishes that. I mean, that's kind of the craziest thing to say. I see these people at rallies, and the, the rhetoric is frightening. I mean, I, I saw a guy recently. I photographed him. He had a T-shirt on. He said, uh, "CNN and fake news. Don't believe what you see on TV." I'm sure he watches Fox Television. So why does he believe anything he sees on TV? <laughs> well, I wanted to put on as uh, Johnny, the late Johnny Carson would say, your Karnak hat, right? The Karnak, the magician, I think he called him. Is that the yeah. yeah hat? And that's it's not too far. Next year is going to be the midterm elections. Two years from that, and even earlier, you know, it doesn't take, you know, right. you're three years in the presidential uh, term that you're already preparing for another election. Where are we heading? <laughs> Boy, that is a magician hat. <laughs> um, if we keep going the way we're going right now, it's going to get a lot worse. I mean, if Michael, people- uh, you know, Jess keeps saying... <laughs> Trump is coming back. I'm worried that Trump is coming back. I mean, how true um, is this? It's a distinct possibility. I mean, if the Democrats don't get their act together really strongly and start making what we were just talking about, compromises. And, you know, that that's the profound difference that I see right now between the Democrats and Republicans. The Republicans will go down with the ship. They don't care what it is. They'll go down with the ship. Democrats are all over the place. They can't agree on being a party. They all want to hold out for their own best interests and their camp. We cannot survive. A Democratic Party can't survive in an environment where it's fragmented. It has to pull together. It has to give things up to, to have an overview. And it needs, that's why the Republicans are strong. They have a strong personality, whether you like them or not. And I certainly don't care for his style or his rhetoric. But he's a force to be reckoned with, and that's that's a reality. We have to deal with that. So uh, my own take on it is we're not going to be in a good place as we move forward. I mean, there, there are just too many problems that are exacerbating each other. You know, look at gun control. There's there's an issue that's at the forefront again, another school shooting. You know, when are we going to get to the point? Well, I, I'll back up. We are going to get to the point where it's going to become so bad yeah, the government is going to try to start taking people's guns away from them the same way they're going to mandate getting vaccines in my mind. If, if things get really bad, you're not going to have a choice anymore. You know, we put a seatbelt on when we get in a car because we know that in terms of safety, our odds of surviving in a crash are much better than not. And so, you know, people don't like big government, but then sometimes they don't give anybody a choice in anything. And big government has to step in for whatever purposes to guide the country along a positive path. Well, here what makes a a good holiday gift, domes, (laughs) arches, and minarets, a history of Islamic-inspired buildings in America. It's available on your website. Uh, Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. and, and, And Amazon. So I, I urge everyone to pick up a copy. And this is, this, like I said, it's a great gift. Phil, thank you for coming thank on you. Arab Talk. My pleasure. I hope that we can meet and talk about some positive, good things in the new year. So hopefully let's look forward to it. <laughs> That's the voice and the face of Phil Pasquini, Arab Talk correspondent, uh, Well, he kind of nails it, Jamal, and uh, I think given the current political landscape that we're in, Lauren Boebert feels and uh, has done her – well, I'll say two things. She feels from a political calculus point of view that she can continue to target hateful, Islamophobic uh, vitriol against Ilhan Omar and against the squad. She feels like politically that makes sense to her. But I also believe she truly believes – her hateful rhetoric uh, against Muslim, against Muslim women, uh, against and her apology. Jamal was so painfully weak; she didn't have the 
the the courage or the dignity to apologize to Ilhan Omar directly. She apologized to anybody in the Muslim community that was offended by her comments. Well, here's breaking news, Jamal. Everybody was offended by her comments in the Muslim community. Every person with a soul, with a heart, with any kind of feeling was offended by her comments. And when you apologize, Jamal, you apologize to a person that you offended. She's yet to do that. Absolutely right. And and this is the thing, Jess. What's happening now, and of course, this is on the GOP, the GOP leadership has not apologized. The GOP leadership has not put pr- pressure on her to really, right. or they haven't censored her or, or uh, you know, reprimanded her. Uh, instead, they're making up excuses. And this is the excuse, and we'll talk about Chris Christie's interview on CNN with Wolf Blitzer. And that's basically the official line that they've been taking, which is to say, well, Ilhan Omar in the past, uh, actually, which is wrong, uh, made some anti-Semitic remarks. And then two, that uh, she does not support Israel, and she voted against the recent missile sale uh, to, to, to Israel. You know, and so they're conflating her criticism of Israel and lack of support to a foreign state with anti-Semitism and also like tit for tat. If she can do that, then uh, Bobert can attack her. But then Bobert's not attacking her. She's attacking 1.8 billion Muslims across uh, across the universe. So that's, and, and then, and just like quickly, just, but then when Ilhan Omar spoke and she was allegedly accused of anti-Semitism or her, or anti-Semitic trope, the entire democratic leadership went after her. They did, and including Nancy Pelosi. To, including Nancy Pelosi, yes. To unequivocally apologize, and she did. She did apologize. That's one thing. Her lack of support of Israel, or lack of support to you know, you know, any country for that matter. That's her business. That has nothing to do. One with with basically being an anti-Semite or being a racist or or an Islamophobe, but they're trying to kind of equate the two. That's right, Jamal, and that's right. And and here's the problem with that argument: they're basically saying if you criticize an apartheid state, then we have free reign to um, uh, give hatred, vitriol, uh, bigoted comments, comments that are you know, certain to inspire, you know, attacks against Ilhan Omar, either verbally or even physically. I mean, she has a 24-7 security detail because of these hateful comments. Well, just her last press conference, she came out with a tape recorder. That's right. And played a tape. Or one, an example of a message that was less threatening her life. That's right. And she says she gets tons of these messages. Yeah, she does. And the FBI is involved. And uh, Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the minority party in the House of Representatives, has, again, failed in his moral leadership or leadership of any kind to condemn them. He said that he has, and he does this all the time, he said he's spoken to Lauren Boebert privately um, and apparently, you know, when this has been reported, and we spoke about this, uh, uh, Bobert had a telephone conversation with Ilhan Omar, and she doubled down. After the conversation, she doubled down on the hateful rhetoric, doubled down on the Islamophobia. Ilhan Omar hung up, hung up on her. Well, but she hung up on her because she, she in fact, uh, refused to apologize and continued to spew this hateful rhetoric. And here we go again, Jamal. If you criticize an apartheid state in this country, you will get attacked viciously and you'll have death threats against you. Criticizing the president of this country, especially if you're a Republican, no problem. Calling for an insurrection uh, against this country and a coup d'etat, no problem. But criticize an apartheid state, and then it's okay to spew hateful, bigoted rhetoric. You know, Jamal, I've I've said this, we've talked about it. This, to me, portends very, very f- 
frightening future for this country in terms of the attacks on democracy, the attacks on women of color, the attacks on communities who are disadvantaged, the attacks on the Muslim community. I'm afraid as we get into 2022, we get into the midterm elections. I've said this, Trump is definitely going to run again. He has a great chance of winning. We we are headed for even, you thought four years of Trump was dark? You haven't seen darkness in terms of the attacks on uh, on civil rights, the attacks on the democratic process, and the attacks on women of color and communities of color. The potential for this to get much worse is great, and we're seeing it in microcosm, Jamal, when we see Lauren Boebert spew this hateful uh, rhetoric against a colleague against a colleague in the House of Representatives and get away, not only get away with it, Jamal, but be supported for it. Well, uh, talking about, uh, you know, the basically the attack and, and talking about, in fact, Trump, but now he's probably is being challenged from within the party. And, and, and that I'm taking you to uh, former New Jersey governor and former presidential candidate Chris Christie, because right. I think now he's the face of the party, or at least he's been advanced to go on television to defend Bobert, make excuses for her, and and also it looks like he's going to be running. And he will run. Saying, yeah, he, he is going to run. And then, and then maybe he'll, pre- he'll present a, uh, a sharper image of, uh, of the party than, <laughs> rather than Donald Trump. But anyway... He went on uh, on um, CNN uh, with uh, Wolf Blitzer, uh, basically defending um, you know this uh, Islamophobe, and he uh, you know Congresswoman Bobert on CNN saying that uh, oh it's only a joke she was joking and people laughed because when she spoke she kind of like laughed uh, uh, laughed and then the audience also laughed so. You know, I guess she's a stand-up comedian. She's not a congresswoman. I mean, this is how he was presenting it. And then he went on the attack, attacking Ilhan Omar, accusing her of anti-Semitism. And that. Uh, and then I, I have to say the only thing that Wolf Blitzer did, he said, listen, we've also held her accountable and we reported on the story because he was saying no one is talking about Ilhan Omar when she made those comments, you know, before. And he said, that's wrong. Uh, she was covered in the media. She was uh, reprimanded right. by the party, by Nancy Pelosi. That's she right. apologized, apologized that's right. and that's the difference. But to me also, I saw that his appearance is really is a litmus test to see if he is going to be viable uh, three years from now. Well, here that's exactly right, Jamal. Here's my worry about it. Chris Christie is trying to distance himself from Trump get some space politically away from Trump and some aspects of the MAGA crowd. Chris Christie wants to appeal to the suburban white women of this country who voted for Joe Biden in the previous election. So let's think about it. If being a hateful Islamophobe puts you further away from Trump, what does that say about the Republican Party right now? That they have to, as their middle ground, support an Islamophobe and a bigot and and hateful rhetoric as the middle ground for the Republican Party. I, I think what this suggests, Jamal, is that the Republican Party is is they they want their cake and they want to eat it too. They want to be able to distance themselves from Trump, but use the same hateful rhetoric that Trump used and somehow claim that it's distant. I don't see Chris Christie as being that different from Donald Trump, frankly. Uh, he wants to convey a, a softer, less you know, aggressive image. Yet, if you watch that Wolf Blitzer interview, it was frankly pretty frightening and disgusting. Yeah, well, you know, that's uh, that's what they're trying to do. They want they want they want to have their cake and eat it too. Uh, they know they cannot win without the far far right in within the party. So they have to play. The same tune of Islamophobia, uh, uh, white supremacy, uh, you know, 
keeping your guns, uh, all these things, you know. But at the same time, they want to come across as being reasonable, like I'm Chris Christie, I'm from New Jersey, I've, I've, I was a governor there, I know government. Um, uh, an insider versus Trump, you know, you, you couldn't, uh, nobody could guess what Trump was going to do next, you know. And so, so he's he's an institution man in a, in a way. Well, of and that's course why he is. I think no, I think if that's right. Someone like him can deliver and get the support of all the people who supported Trump, but then he can deliver to the party elite uh, in Washington D.C. Then he'll he'll be their man. I, yeah. I personally think that the party eventually. Uh, that's where probably you and I will differ. That they will eventually get another person to replace Trump. Yeah, I, d I don't believe it. I'm going to say it, and I'll say it, and I predicted it before. I'm predicting it again. There's greater than a 50-50 chance that Donald Trump will be the next president. Here's breaking news on Arab Talk. I think Chris Christie is actually running for the vice presidency rather than the presidency because recent comments by Mike Pence have put him at even further oh, distance. No, Pence is out. He's not yeah. going to be. I mean, if yeah. Trump runs, we know that. Pence is out. So I actually think Chris Christie is actually running for vice president. So, you know, we'll see. But either way, both Donald Trump and Chris Christie were giving getting a sense of the Democrat, uh, what the Democrats are going to be facing and what the Republican playbook is going to be. Ilhan Omar, the squad, progressive forces are going to be demonized like they're demonized now. It's going to be an ugly campaign. And I'm sorry to give you some more bad news, Jamal, but if you look at the polling right now, it really looks like that the Democrats are going to get massacred in the midterm elections. There is... This a, I'll agree with you on. There, there's a greater than 50-50 chance that... The Democrats will lose the House, will lose the Senate, and will be in the same situation where we'll have this split government, where the Congress will be Republican, the presidency will be held by Joe Biden for two more years at least, and nothing will get done again. We're, we're going to be in that same old pattern all over again. It's going to get pretty ugly uh, in 2022, Jamal, and I think... We hadn't planned about talking about this today, but if you've been listening to the Supreme Court hearings as well as, you know, I have been lately and thinking about the the challenge to Roe v. Wade, the Mississippi law that wants to basically overturn Roe v. Wade, there is more than a 50-50 chance, too, that Roe v. Wade is going to get overturned. And it will get overturned before the midterm election. So we're seeing a what I would call a a cataclysmic shift to white supremacy, uh, conservative extremism. And if if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, and I actually happen to be one of these people that believes it will get overturned, you're going to see further divisions in this country, further divides, further bloodshed. It's, it's really sad to say that. But we're really in the process of witnessing a resurgence of kind of autocratic rule and anti-democratic uh, processes going on in the United States. It's What I would say is that Arab Talk listeners and viewers need to get their seatbelts on because we're going to continue to report on this. And what I see uh, doesn't look too good. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Uh, moving on just uh, to another topic here. Beauty washing, uh, beauty washing, beauty washing. <laughs> I've never th thought about. Uh, you and I will be having a discussion about uh, Miss Universe. Just this is not I know. part That's of our not, agenda, but it's not our but agenda. Here we are. So, uh, Palestinian civil rights movements in South Africa and all over the world, they were up in arms about uh, Miss South Africa's uh, non-withdrawal 
from the pending Miss Universe pageant saying that apartheid Israel is no different from uh, their country's basically historical uh, oppression. And the South African government, which is unusual, has withdrawn its support from its own contestant and has withdrawn its support uh, for the event because, uh, uh, you know, of the plans uh, of the Miss South Africa's plans to participate in Miss Universe 2021 context, uh, contest, which will be held uh, in Elat, uh, I think, December December 12th. So there are a lot of things about this. Several countries, Malaysia, etc., they're not sending contestants there. And then whenever we're getting all these kind of different stories keep popping up, then you have the 2019 Miss Greece, or supposedly Miss Greece, uh, uh, Rafaela uh, Plastira, uh, announced in October that she was pulling out of the context uh, uh, because she could not go up on stage acting like nothing is happening uh, when people are fighting for their lives. And then she expressed her support to the Palestinians. And then comes the Greek organ- organizers of the event. And they said, she's not our representative. We're sending somebody else. Yeah. She shouldn't have uh, spoken about this because she's not the legitimate representative. Then you have uh, today or yesterday, a contestant tested positive uh, for, for the COVID-19 coronavirus. Yeah. After, after arriving uh, in Israel. Uh, and basically, they did not identify uh, this con- contestant. So a lot of things. And then I was like reading, th- looking through the media, the Jerusalem Post, of course, we know what, what the Jerusalem Post represents and and other, they're like going on the defensive, you know, saying that uh, this is not the place to to have politics as if like this has never happened before, like the Olympics right. uh, exactly. were barred by exactly. politics. Exactly. And then when it Jamal. comes to moving this uh, uh, contest, uh, which frankly I find it kind of unusual during uh, COVID, you know, and, and well, Jamal, the yeah. Israeli, the the Israelis have barred all travel. So my my comment is just like, okay, you've shut down incoming and outgoing flights from the apartheid state, but you're going to allow in a few days people to fly in from all over the world in the middle of an ongoing pandemic and the research and the emergence of a new variant Omicron that is potentially 500 times more contagious, I predict a, yet another disastrous decision on the, apart, on the part of the Israeli apartheid regime, Jamal. They never miss an opportunity to shoot themselves in the foot. They're going to go forward here. They're going to condemn these, uh, these criticisms, and it will just bring more light, as we know, to the apartheid practices, because there will be some contestants who don't show up, and that'll be the big news. So, and here's an afterthought. Uh, I just actually was thinking about it earlier today. Wasn't uh, Donald Trump involved with Miss Universe? No, he used to be. Like- he used to be the promoter, and he sold his rights. Yeah. Okay, so it's kind of like funny, you know, that he had his fingers on this uh, event here. And all of a sudden now, during COVID and at a time when Israel, and we keep repeating this time and time again, has been labeled as an apartheid state by Human Rights Watch and by its own human rights organization, B'Tselem, that they're holding, out of all the countries in the world, they're holding this context in Israel, despite the calls uh, for boycott. It's like they're going against the current. Sure, to just they're doubling down. Well, they're doubling down some, like, some, like some spotlight on, on there that this is like a happy country. We're having this uh, uh, Miss Universe contest there. And, and by the way, uh, we're asking you, uh, you know, the entire world, don't look to uh, to the to your right or to your left, you know, because we don't want you to see all the uh, uh, Palestinian bantu stands that the state uh, has created. We don't want you to see the apartheid wall that surrounds uh, basically the West Bank. We don't want you to see the 1.8 million Palestinians in in 24/7 lockdown in Gaza. You know, just pay attention 
to this beautiful woman in, in Ilat and forget about everything around there. I, I couldn't say it any better, Jamal. That's exactly right. And we know what white supremacists do when they feel challenged. And this is what the Israelis always do. They double down. Rather than coming clean, rather than confronting the reality of their apartheid uh, oppressive practices, rather than, you know, being held accountable on the international stage, they double down. And speaking of doubling down, this will lead to our final kind of, because we don't have that much time, but I think we should talk about the expansion of the Israeli illegal Israeli settler colonial expansion to to steal more Palestinian land and not just any land, stealing farmland that has been, you know, part of uh, Palestinian history for hundreds and hundreds, if not, you know, how many hundreds of years, Jamal? So they're get they're they're literally getting away with ongoing murder and land theft. Exactly. And this is happening at the same time. So this is really, this is the real news. I that mean, is. To me, to you, probably to the rest of the world, as the, as the world is trying to deal with COVID, Miss Universe is something like irrelevant, you know, with all due respect to people who, who watch it or support it, because you have bigger fish to fry. And, 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 and in Palestine, Israeli settlers are gobbling up land and they are being used, aside from their own atrocities, but they are being used as a tool by the state to grab more land because they can now work the system. Because if you establish a, a farmland in the West Bank, regardless whether you stole it or you did not, as long as you are Jewish, you get support from the state. You get loans, you get grants, you get aid in the form of infrastructure, right. water, and right. farm subsidies. Right. So I mean, this is this is what this is what's happening. So these settlers now, they just all that they have to do is grab a piece of land, bring a couple of goats, plant a couple of plants, and say this is farmland, and the state will immediately support them. I'm talking about the state of of Israel. And this is, has been documented by the human rights organization B'Tselem, and they've been highlighting all their attacks, basically, uh, on Palestinian farmers on a daily basis. Uh, in the past um, several weeks alone, they have established 50 new outposts. Because Unbelievable. they haven't grown to be like an entire settlement, and you don't need that. But they have established 50 new outposts uh, where, in the West Bank, of course, and where they basically are saying that they are using them for sheep, goat, and cattle herding. Well, we can only thing we could say, Jamal, it's apartheid in a new, it's old wine in new bottles. It's the same apartheid oppressive occupation practice that the apartheid regime of Israel has engaged in. And you are exactly right. The real story here is land theft and occupation. And, you know, the the apartheid regime wants you to look at Ilat, but not look at what's happening in Gaza or the West Bank. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com to download the latest episodes and we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week.